Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. If you are joining us as a guest this morning um, or you're joining us online, we hope that you feel really at home with us. For any of you that I haven't met before, my name is Heather and I have been part of LVV for many years now. Today we are continuing on with our Lent series and so this morning we are thinking about fasting from greed and feasting on hospitality. And there are two passages that we're going to look at today. The first is in Luke 14 where Jesus teaches about what hospitality looks like in the kingdom of God. And then we're going to flip on over uh, to Luke 19 where Jesus practices what hospitality looks like with Zacchaeus the tax collector. And in the gospels there's this constant rhythm in Jesus's life of both proclamation and demonstration. These two things were not separate for him. And so as we look at these passages today, we're going to consider three things about kingdom hospitality. We're going to consider about how hospitality honors those who feel discarded, invites those who are strangers, and welcomes his presence. So let me just pray as we begin. We just pray, come Holy Spirit. God, let us feel at home here with you today as we think about extending hospitality to others. In Jesus' name, amen. So starting in Luke chapter 14, verse 7, we're going to explore what did Jesus teach about hospitality in his kingdom If you want to follow along with the passage, you can find it on page 724 of the Black Bible. So page 724. Just as you look that up, to set the scene, in this passage in Luke 14, Jesus is eating dinner with many different people, including some of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were a religious group in that time who believed that the present age was under the dominion of wicked powers and therefore they anticipated the kingdom of God coming on earth, that is, the rule and reign of God on earth and that the Holy Lamb would be restored to the Jewish people. And so these were people who were waiting on the kingdom of God to arrive. And so whenever Jesus sits down at this dinner table and begins to teach about the kingdom, they are listening really intently to what it is that he's saying. And they're also almost scrutinizing what it is that Jesus is saying. So we're going to look at Luke 14 and we're going to start at verse 7. When he noticed how the guest picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you could have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. 
Then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. But one of those at the table with him heard this. He said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant to go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And so in this passage, we see um, that hospitality and the kingdom of God go hand in hand. Jesus uses this story of a feast to describe what the kingdom of God is like and who he wants to be a part of that kingdom. And so this passage is obviously painting a bigger picture of salvation and who God invites into salvation. But this passage also has something to teach us about hospitality and how do we make room for others in our lives and so the first thing that we learn from this passage is the kingdom hospitality honors those who feel discarded. I work for a brilliant youth organization called Youth Initiatives, or YI for short. And one of the things that I love about YI is that built into the very core of our organization is this culture that we have of honor. So why I started because a group of Catholic and Protestant people came together and they wanted to share their faith with young people in Belfast. Um, but then they also wanted to encourage young people to think about what could they do to um, contribute to a shared future in Northern Ireland. And so our organization has unity at its heart. And one of the ways that I think unity has been built up in our organization over the years is this practice that we have amongst our staff team and even with our young people called honoring. And so once a month, whenever we have a staff meeting, we will sit around uh, in a circle or we'll be sitting around tables in a way that we can see each other, that we can have eye contact with each other. And whoever's birthday it has been that month, we 
pass around a card, we sign the card, but then we have this time of honouring. And honouring is simply where whoever wants to in the room will look at that person and say, I honour you for this thing. And it could be that it's something to do with their youth work, you know, like I honour you because I see the perseverance that you've had with that group of young people. And that group of young people are total rockets and I don't know how you do it. And so they maybe say something like that or they call out something in the person's character. They say, I see how you carry hope amongst these young people, or I've really appreciated how you've persevered in your own life, or whatever. And so, during this time of honouring, honestly, if you're the person doing the honouring, it's slightly awkward, right? But if you're the person on the receiving end of it, there's only two words for it. It is complete, well, actually, this is going to be three words, completely awkward, right? Completely awkward, and class all at the same time. So um, we all know that in Northern Ireland, we do this thing whenever we really like someone. What is that thing? Slag them off, yes. So whenever we really like someone, we're like, look at the state of you. Do you know what I mean? We just slag them off. Um, and I remember, this is a wee bit of an aside, but whenever I was doing my gap year, um, I remember we had this full group of Americans over with us in Northern Ireland. And I was part of this discipleship program. And literally we got to October in the discipleship program. It started in September. We got to October. And they basically sat us down almost like for this like intervention or whatever. And they were like, why do you not like us? And we were like, would you like us? Like, why are you asking that? And they were like, because all you ever do is slag us off. And so we were like, oh no, do you know what? That's actually a sign of affection in Northern Ireland. Um, and so it took a wee bit of time, but eventually they got it. We dialed back the sarcasm and they realized that that was a sign of affection. But anyway, whenever we do this process of honoring NYI, it feels completely awkward, totally awkward, because it is not the culture that we are used to being a part of. We are used to being a part of a culture where we use sarcasm, where we don't say great things sometimes towards each other. And yet in these moments of honoring, you can't help but feel supported. You can't help but feel seen by those that you're working with. And I think this is similar to what Jesus is doing here in this parable. He's introducing a different culture of honor than what the Pharisees lived in. In their time, you only dined with those who were honored by society because of their social status. And the process of hospitality was all about improving your own social standing. As one person says, meals were used to advertise and reinforce social hierarchy. Hospitality was all about being publicly recognized by those who were viewed as important and posturing yourself so that your social status improved. And so this posturing happened firstly in receiving the invitation from somebody who was of uh, importance in the community. But then secondly, when you attended the meal, it was crucial to be sitting as close as possible to the host. Why? because your proximity to the host determined how important other people thought that you were. 
And so one of the things that Jesus was criticized for throughout the Gospels was for eating with sinners, prostitutes, and tax collectors, because these groups of people were seen to be on the bottom of the social hierarchy in their society. I love it because Jesus constantly had dinner with those in society who culture did not honor. Jesus wasn't simply teaching about this stuff. He was actually demonstrating what it was that he was teaching. And for the Pharisees, this showed that Jesus could not have been a holy man or a prophet because someone who was attuned to God would not have dined with those types of people. For the Pharisees, this mindset actually dated back in the New Testament to when the Jews were taken away and exiled to Babylon 400 years before this. And when the Jewish people went into exile, they immediately had a challenge to face because up to that point, they were trying to follow the law of God, uh, which said that they were required to offer certain sacrifices in the temple in order to receive pardon from God. And this was done by the priest uh, sacrificing on an altar within the temple. But whenever the Jewish people got into exile, there was no temple in Babylon. It's sort of similar to whenever church shut down during COVID. And it's like, well, what do we do now? And so initially the Jewish leaders came up with a structure that they could use while they were there. And they taught the people this, your home is the new temple. Your table is the new altar. The father of the house is the new priest. And the meal is the new sacrifice. And to this day, there's this Jewish phrase that says, every table is an altar. Now, eventually, the Jews went on to build synagogues. But what remained in the Jewish mindset was this mindset that your home, your table, and the very food upon it was sacred. And therefore, you should not allow anybody who was outside of the Jewish community, um, someone who was a Gentile, much less someone who was a sinner, um, come to dine with you. One well-known commentator says this, the Pharisees interpreted the holiness of the temple as extending to their own households with the ritual purity required of priests serving in the temple extended to their own tables. The food to be eaten must be ritually clean. Those with whom they ate likewise. And so that is why by the time Jesus arrives on the scene 400 years later, the Pharisees cannot fathom that he would share a table with sinners. There was such a divide between the sacred and the secular in their minds that they just couldn't understand Jesus's behavior. They never invited those who were sick, those who were poor, those who had a disability, those who were a prostitute. They never invited them uh, into their homes. But those are the very people who are at the heart of this parable. It was from the highways and the byways that people end up coming to this feast and feasting in the kingdom of God. Those who had been dishonored by society became the ones who got invited to the feast. And so I wonder, what does it look like for us to create cultures of honor with our hospitality that goes against what our culture teaches us? Like it's interesting, in this story, people have to be encouraged to take a lesser seat at the table rather than fighting for a seat near to the host. Now, if this story was set in Northern Ireland, this would not be a problem. 
Nobody in public would dare assume that they should have the best seats in the House. In fact, if this was set in Northern Ireland, I think people would just be fighting over the back row or, you know, fighting for the seats far away from, from the host or from Jesus. And so in our wee country, we have this weird sense of false humility going on. Um, that we don't want ourselves to appear better than we are. But if we're really honest, if those who we see as important or significant extend hospitality to us in some way, we do spend a wee bit of time thinking, I'm class, you know. We might even brag a wee bit, you know, that person invited me around for dinner, you know, and tell people about it. And deep down, our motivation at times can also be like, what can that person do for us? What doors can that person open for me? Um, how can I you know, move up the ladder at work if I go and have dinner with my boss? Those things are sometimes what are, in fact, in the back of our minds. And here's what I think is the antidote to this type of behavior in our lives. Firstly, I think we need to invite someone to coffee or for dinner who cannot help you get ahead in any way. You have no motivation of like, okay, what can they do for me? And then don't tell anybody about it. Don't brag about how great you are. Honor them in secret because God sees it. Secondly, kingdom hospitality invites those in who are strangers. The word for hospitality in the New Testament is this Greek word, philoxenia. It's basically a term that's made up of two words, philio, which is to love as you would love a friend, and then xenos, which means stranger. And so biblical hospitality could basically be described as the love of strangers. And therefore, we need to ask ourselves, like, how do we extend hospitality, not just to those in our friendship group, not just to those in our family, but how do we love those who are strangers? This passage clearly describes the host of this feast inviting those he knew very well and those he regarded as friends. But I think it's really interesting in this passage, the excuses that the original dinner guests give to the host as to why they can't come. So the first said this, I have just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. This person is saying, I have this land in my possession that I've just bought and I need to go and look at it so I can't come. This person was saying, like, what I own, the things that matter to me most, my possessions, there are what's going to be looked after first. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And this person was saying not just about what they own, but also about what they did. I think work was maybe the thing that was getting in the way for, these, for this person. And the fact that they say, you know, I'm going to go and check them out. Um, they're thinking, okay, like, do you know what? It's work that's getting in the way. And then still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Now, can I just say on this one, I have never known a man to turn down free food, right? And not just men in the room, women in the room too, we totally get this, you know. Why would you turn down a feast? But this man has just got married and I just think there might be other things on his mind. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, you just do know what I mean. Um, but this guy is saying, 
do you know what? My relationship comes first. Like, I care more about my relationship than I do about coming to feast with you. Now, one scholar says, actually, that these um, excuses aren't really excuses because no one would see a field no one would buy a field without seeing it. No one would buy ox without testing them out. And no one who just got married was actually invited to another feast at the same time. So these excuses don't really stack up. And in my opinion, these people are more likely to be describing the things that are distracting them rather than real reasons as to why they couldn't accept the invitation. And we all know what it's like to allow possessions or money or work or relationships to distract us from the invitations that God has given us in our lives. So this host decides, right, I'm going to invite the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. But when there's still room left, he invites those who are on the roads and in the country lanes too. And the host is now inviting the stranger to his banquet As we know, this stranger will eventually be revealed as the Gentiles and how salvation is not just being extended to the Jews, as I talked about earlier. But here, Jesus is also saying something about their practices of hospitality once again. In this culture, not only was hospitality based on honor and trying to climb up the social ladder, but there was also this unwritten unwritten rule that hospitality was always reciprocated. Hospitality was always offered with strings attached and you were only invited to meals of those who you could reciprocate the invite to. In this way, the elite maintained their status by continuing to mix with others who had gained power and privilege. And so when Jesus here is suggesting that hospitality in the kingdom of God is extended to those who cannot reciprocate the invitation, he's once again targeting their culture of hospitality. He's saying, I do not want you to be insulated from the needy or the marginalized because of your social boundaries. And once again, this isn't just something that is seen in the first century. We also know what it's like to only ever really hang out with those who we call friends, those who are maybe very similar to us, those of a same background, live in the same place, people who are maybe of the same uh, income bracket as us. And I don't know about you, but sometimes even like, Honestly, sometimes even hanging out with friends feels like a lot of effort. I don't know if you've had that experience since COVID. Like, I hate to admit it, but sometimes I get excited when people cancel plans with me. Anybody else in the room? Yeah. And I actually get more excited sometimes about people canceling plans than I do about people making plans with me in the first place, right? Which is really sad. But um, I do really like people, but I do think that it takes a lot of effort. And there is something about what we've been through with COVID that I think it takes even more effort at times for us to decide to Uh, be hospitable with others. So how much more effort is required of us to love the stranger and offer hospitality to those who are different from us or to those who we don't know well or to be put simply, those who cannot return the favor? I would challenge us today that we need to be hanging out with the stranger as often as we do with our closest friends and family members. 
I remember whenever, not long after I had first joined Vineyard, so this was way back how many years ago, sort of near the start of Vineyard being planted here. Um, I was over at Andy and Dana's with a group of people from church. And we were hearing about what it meant to be all in in this community. And if you've been around this community for a while, you'll have heard maybe people talking about that. So at the time, uh, basically you decided, were you going to commit to this community? Were you going to be all in? And so Andy will often tell stories about you know, people texting him in the middle of the night saying, I am all in, like I am committed to this place. And really what you were saying whenever you said that you were all in was that you were going to invest your time, you were going to invest your resources, your money, your finances, you were going to serve in this community. Basically you were saying like you were going to be a part of this thing that was happening um, so that we could see like God's kingdom advance in this place. And so I remember um, during this conversation, me and my partner at the time had this conversation with Andy and we were actually talking about how we were struggling to feel connected into LVV. Now, I think back then I must have been slightly more shy than I am now because that is not a problem for me now. Um, I like talking to strangers, but at that time, clearly we were struggling in this. And so I remember Andy saying to us, well, like, why don't you invite people round for dinner? And I remember our response was that we were really busy with work, that we were um, just really flat out. And honestly, hospitality felt like one more thing to do. Like at that point, hospitality just felt like it was a wee bit of a chore. And I think to be honest, we were probably just arriving in this community, maybe just a wee bit burnt out from having served. But what I realized from that conversation as I reflected on it over the months that followed was that just because I was new to this community, I didn't need to be the one waiting for someone to welcome me. I didn't need to wait on somebody else to welcome me. I actually needed to take the initiative, take the responsibility and say, I am going to go and I am going to welcome people in this community. And yeah, all of a sudden, I think from that point onwards, something shifted for me. And it wasn't even just around hospitality, but I think it was about what life looks like in the kingdom. I think before that, um, I actually had in my mind these boundaries, these sort of strict boundaries, black and white boundaries of, you know, you're either serving or you're the one being served. You're either at church or you're doing the rest of life. You're either doing the welcome or you're being welcomed. I think I've seen things in really quite black or white. And so all of a sudden I realized that life in the kingdom, like there was no sacred or secular there was no, uh, I'm going to be the one being welcomed today instead of welcoming you. Um, I realized that there was give and take. I realized that actually, you know, kingdom life was as much about having dinner with my neighbor, you know, having a chat with a young person in work, talking to the cashier in a shop. I realized that actually all of it was the same thing. All of it was the one thing.
And so this morning I tell you that story because we're actually going to pause here for a minute and we're going to do a wee bit of a response. And I know this is not what we normally do, so if you are a guest or a visitor, I'm not going to lie, this bit might be a wee bit weird. Um, But... Here is the crack. I don't know uh, about you, but whenever I go home from church, sometimes I think, oh, do you know, that was really good today. Like, I felt really challenged by God and this thing. And then I go home and I never do the thing that, you know, that we're talking about in church. And I'm like, so today we are actually going to practice hospitality here and now. Now, all the introverts in the room, you're just like, I'm leaving, but it's going to be okay, all right? We're in this together. So here is what's going to happen. We are today going to get together in this room right here, right now, with some people that we do not know, and then we'll come back together, and I'm going to talk about one more thing. But here's what we're going to do. I want you to get, in a minute, into groups of four, five, six something like that, um, and basically choose people in the room that you do not know or that you do not know well. Now, if I see anybody in the room who has been here a while and is with their mates, we're going to be giving you the evil eyes, all right? So don't go talk to your mates. Go and choose people in this room who you do not know. Um, Here's a couple of ground rules for this. Um, Firstly, do not use this as an opportunity to ask someone out on a date. (laughs) So, I know some of you are thinking it, right? Heather told me to come and ask you out for coffee, right? But don't do that. This is not this moment, right? Please don't do that. Uh, We love it to feel like this is something safe. So please do this in groups, right? I'm not saying anybody's weird in here, but yeah, do it in groups. Okay. Um, Secondly, uh, please make sure it's just coffee. And the reason for that is because, see if you get into dinner with someone you really don't like. Do you know what I mean? And you're sitting there after three courses, you know, you're like, how do I ever leave? So coffee is low risk. So ask the people out for coffee. Don't invite them around your house. Just ask them to go for coffee. Make it low risk. If you have a spouse, please bring them with you to the conversation and look around the room and please let's make sure that no one is left out. Uh, It would be really bad if we're talking about hospitality and people are sitting on their own. So please make sure that everybody is included. So here's what's going to happen. We're going to put up a five-minute timer. You are going to look across the room and just see who it is that catches your eye, who it is that you think they would be good to chat to. Um, so, five-minute timer. I'm going to give you a one-minute warning to get back in your seat. So, on your marks, get set, go. Okay, put up your hand if you find that the most awkward five minutes of your life. <gasps> Loads of yous, class. Uh, Put up your hand if you were like in your element chatting to people you didn't know. Yeah, a few people. Sarah Boyd, of course. (laughs) Um, So we didn't just do that this morning, like, you know, 
as like some nice response. Um, but actually we did that this morning because it is really important that we are able to be hospitable to those that we do not know. That, you know, in here, there's much lower risk of walking across a room and having a conversation with someone that you do not know. They're less likely to reject you, basically, um, than if you do that with someone else. But actually, that's really important. We feel like there's important relationships to be forged in this room today. And so we're going to be praying this week that actually, as you go for coffee with people or after Easter, that um, the relationships formed in that. So... The last thing I want to say about kingdom hospitality today is this. Kingdom hospitality welcomes his presence. And there's one other story I want to talk about today, and that is the story of Zacchaeus, which is found in Luke 19. You, want my, you might want to flip over to it. We're not going to read it, but um, in summary, there's a tax collector called Zacchaeus who wanted to see Jesus as he entered Jericho, but he couldn't see over the crowd because he was short, and so he ended up climbing a sycamore tree. When Jesus saw him up the tree, he invited himself to be a guest at his home. When others heard that Jesus was having dinner with a sinner, they began to grumble. But during dinner, Zacchaeus stood up and says this to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And then Jesus says that salvation has come to this house. And there's three things very briefly I'm going to say about this. Firstly, I love that Jesus invited himself for dinner. Now, I don't want you to nudge the person beside you when I ask this, right? But I don't know if you know anybody in this room who has that type of personality that they invite themselves for dinner. Yeah, anybody know someone like that? I was actually in church uh, a couple of months ago and I was talking to my friend who I hadn't seen in a while and she was talking about how on Friday night all these uh, women from church were going out for dinner. And so I decided like accidentally, but I basically, no, I didn't decide, I accidentally invited myself for dinner, right? And so I was like, oh, I'm not working on Friday night. That would be great. And, and I could see her face, you know, go, hang on, I wasn't inviting you. And I had this like really awkward moment of like, how do I reel this back? And she was just like, come now, come on. And so I, I went for dinner, but the, well, the, the interesting thing was that I actually forgot dinner was happening, right? So I firstly invited myself for dinner. Then I forgot that dinner was happening. And yeah, and then basically ended up at dinner. So it was fine. But I can totally relate to Jesus in this passage, just like someone who just invites himself along. I love that about him. He probably had a better plan of attack though, that goes straight away, you know, and then you won't forget about it. So, but can I just say, like, if Jesus, like, invited himself for dinner at my house today, I would probably actually be a wee bit stressed because, like many of us, you know, we can get caught up in entertainment rather than hospitality. John Mark Comer says that there's a few differences between hospitality and entertainment. He says this, entertainment is about exclusion, hospitality is about inclusion. 
Entertainment is about performance, but hospitality is about service. With entertainment, there's a clear line between host and guest. Hospitality blurs that line. You come to give and to receive. Entertainment is sporadic. Hospitality is a way of life. Entertainment is reciprocated. Hospitality is an act of generosity. Entertainment is about social status. Hospitality is about justice for the poor. The second thing I love about this passage is that Jesus is both the host and the guest. I think that on many occasions when Jesus invited himself for dinner, people felt like they were the host, but then I think probably something shifted and they maybe felt like he was hosting them. Jesus went to dinner many times and received from other people. He didn't have a host. He doesn't have a house to host people in. So there was many times that physically he was going to other people's houses. But I reckon that there were many times during those meals with Jesus when the host realized that it was Jesus making them feel at home and not the other way around. And I think that this is the case in this passage with Zacchaeus because thirdly, Zacchaeus responds with authenticity. We don't know what Zacchaeus and Jesus were talking about at dinner, but there was this moment where Zacchaeus just bursts out and says, I am going to do the opposite of what I have been doing up to this point. I will give half of my possessions to the poor and I will pay back anyone I have cheated four times the amount. Zacchaeus responds here to the presence of Jesus with authenticity and repentance. And something happened during this dinner when Jesus draws out of Zacchaeus this very honest response and it completely changes his life around. And so I want to invite the band to come back up and to play. And if you're comfortable, just as we come to respond this morning, I'd love you just to stand where you are. If you're comfortable, maybe you just want to close your eyes, maybe you just want to hold out your hands, maybe you just want to be quiet in this moment. But I believe this morning that there's also something that we need to learn about hosting Jesus, about welcoming his presence. And there's been something that has been happening across the world recently where all these wee moves of God um, have been breaking out in different places. And in reading reports about these moves of God, it just seems that people in those places were hungry for his presence. And I really feel like this morning as I was preparing that I couldn't talk about hospitality and not talk about welcoming him in. And so I just invite you to close your eyes um, just as we respond and the the band begins to play. Sometimes just like in this passage, Jesus comes and invites himself in when he recognizes hunger in us. But I think at times we are still in entertainment mode. We think somehow he is pleased with our performance of trying to entertain him when actually he just wants us to welcome him in. Not to have cleared the whole house and made everything perfect before he comes. He just wants to be welcomed. And so God we pause now in this moment
and we welcome you. We just pray, God, would you come and would you increase your presence amongst us. that for some of you in the room today God wants to welcome you at his table that he is creating space for you to come and to feast with him Increase God, our thirst and our hunger for you. And I believe as well there's something today about us responding in authenticity to Him, about coming and bringing Him things that look a mess where the house has not felt clean or tidy and we invite him in anyway. I think there's something about for some of you in the room this morning and today obviously being um, Palm Sunday, the people in that story as Jesus rode into Jerusalem laid out their cloaks before him. They bowed down and they laid out their cloaks before him. And I think there might be a few of you in the room today who are sensing just that feeling of you need to be on your knees before him this morning. And that also can be a wee bit awkward. But I think there's something of us responding in authenticity to the king being present in the room. Yes, we pray, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit up the deep places in our lives. We welcome your presence.